as the first icebreaker, just to get this conversation going, being that it's winter, right? And it's like cold outside. Um, I'm thinking comfort food. Okay, so what is your go-to comfort food that's your favorite? Mm, that's a good question, actually. <laughs> um, I love all foods, to be honest with you. Uh, I think dessert definitely has like a sweet place in my heart. So probably cheesecake or like tiramisu or anything sweet, honestly. <laughs> I like that. Anything sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say for me, I like salty foods. Um, okay. Like salty, savory. So I'm going to say like a nice piece of, I don't know, sourdough bread with like pasta. I love pasta. Mm -hmm. That's like a go-to. Bread and pasta. Yep. Pasta was probably my second choice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, I don't know if you know this, or I guess you probably do. Uh, when I initially reached out to you, I came across a, a Western news article, essentially. Mm -hmm. That's at first how I um, found you out. And really, it was talking about your upbringing, uh, also how you were at the time, I think, fourth year nursing student when that article came out. Yes, yeah, correct. Yeah, it was during my graduation. Yeah, okay. So... I guess I just want to start us off with really you taking me back to your upbringing and kind of where it all started for you and kind of, um, you know, how has your childhood in a way impacted the person that you are today? Yeah, cool. So, um, yeah, I guess just to take you all the way back, uh, like as early as I can remember, um, I had lived in a 700 square foot apartment. So a very small apartment with uh, my six family members. So it was myself, uh, my two brothers, uh, my grandma, and then my mom and my dad. And uh, so, yeah, it was a two-bedroom. Uh, so my grandma had one bedroom, my parents had the other. And when we were really young, um, we all used to sleep with my parents in that room. But then as we got older, we started just kind of sleeping in the living room because we wanted our own living space. Um, yeah, so we would. Uh, my mom would basically, like, as we got older, my mom would lay out couch cushions on the floor uh, in the living room. And we kind of just, like, divvy it up. So when we were younger, like, uh, like I said, we would sleep with my parents. And as we got older, it was kind of like we would all sleep together in the middle of the living room. And then as we got even older, it was like, you know, I would get these couch cushions and I'd sleep on this side of the floor. And then my middle brother would sleep on the other side. So uh, that was pretty much our living space. Uh, it was very small, very cramped. And as I got older, it became a lot harder to, you know, study, to have my own space. When you're younger, you don't realize and you're just, that was how it was. And I was completely fine with it. But the older I got, the more it kind of started to you know, be like, oh, I really wish I had my own room or I really wish I had my own bed or desk or any of these things. So it was definitely very different to a like, typical um, like kid that would grow up in Markham where I grew up. But it was something that like, I, I wouldn't give it up. I, if I had to go back and do it again, I would. Just because um, like I got so close with my parents and I got so close with my brothers because of the experience. And although it did hinder my academic experience, it's something I've been able to build up in the recent years. And I feel like I've, I'm now starting to get on par with my peers. It's taken a long time to kind of really, you know, catch up. I felt like I was really behind, like throughout high school, and especially coming into university. But it's been something I've worked on really hard. And so that's, that's, that's honestly a really, really positive way to, to see it too. Even you saying, connecting with your parents too and your brothers, that's really sweet and special. And just kind of the positive mindset of it is really, really nice to hear. Um, I, did you mention, are your, are your, uh, like your background and your family, do they, are they immigrants from Greece or are they born and raised in Canada? Yeah. So both my parents are raised in Canada. My grandma's, uh, my dad's side came from Greece. So my grandma moved by herself. Um, and she has a really cool story. Actually, she came here as a, um, a maid. So 
she saved up all the money. Um, she learned to sew in Greece and she saved up all the money she could. And uh, she always tells me she had a big fight with her dad because she wanted to come to Canada and he didn't want her to go. And she kind of went against his will and spent all the money that she had saved up for just like a ferry boat ride to Canada. And they were on the boat for, I don't even know, it, it was like weeks, like it was a very long time. And she finally made it here and she just worked as a maid. And then as she kind of um, got her feet together and um, that type of stuff, she started working for Tip Top Taylor. So she was uh, a sewer. Amazing. And because she was, because she came here, right? Is that what led then like your, uh, is this your dad's mom? Or? Uh, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of, and then they started their life here. That's so amazing. Could you imagine if just how she decided to stay and not have that dream, like how different life would be? I think, I think about all that all the time. Like, yeah, I, I wouldn't be here. So. Yeah. Oh my God. That's amazing. That's, that's so special. I, um, similar to our culture to, um, being Albanian as well. I know there was a really big, uh, uh, grandmother grandfather presence in the house so it's, it was typically you had your grandparents your parents and then the kids um so yeah I know all about that but that's really special um so thank you for sharing I'm just kind of pulling here from kind of the article too about just some key pieces that stuck really stood out to me I want to say um so I'm just going to pull up a quote that that the writer essentially put here and they wrote mm -hmm. and then you he had been working to reduce his financial burden on his family since he was 13 years old and I was just yeah. like crazy, you're 13 years old. You're thinking about already finances and that pressure at such a young age. So I just like my my heart sank. And I just kind of wonder, you know, like what kind of toll did this pressure take on you at, at being so young? Yeah, so it, it was a lot. So yeah, I did start working at 13. It was a flower shop that I worked at. Um, so I started working at the flower shop and it was for that reason, just like I knew my parents by that age, I was completely aware of the financial situation we were in and everything that was going on. I think from as early as like nine or 10 is where I really started to notice. I remembered by just thinking about like when my parents would Christmas shop and just other things like that, going out for groceries, I started to notice things like, oh, like they don't have a lot of money to just go buy us the biggest things that are there. And that was never something that I grew up like enjoying. So, um, yeah, by like by 13, um, I, I was just trying to get my feet started. I was like, where can I work? What is the thing? Where's the, the best place that I can make the most money with the least amount of time pretty much because I knew I was still in elementary school at the time. Wow. Um, so yeah, I think, I, I think that was like summer of grade seven ish to grade eight is when I started. And yeah, so I started to work at the flower shop and I, I learned a lot there. They really, um, the, the owners there were so nice. We switched owners halfway through and the new owners were just as nice. But um, I think the first owners that were there, they really taught me a lot because um, they they too had worked at young ages like that. So um, they, they didn't treat me like I was, you know, a 13 year old kid. They treated me like I was their coworker. And that was something I really liked. I learned so many skills working there because um, I worked all the way up until my second year of university when COVID hit. That was kind of when they were closed down and I was already in university. So I was going to London by that point. But yeah, so um, I just think, yeah, it, it was it was definitely hard on me. Um, looking back, like I, I strained myself a lot. Um, I, I would work so many hours. Like I tried to work 20 hours a week and going into high school, um, I played the saxophone. So I would I, I would go to band as well. And I was in jazz band, I was in concert band, and then I would help out for the grade 11 band as well when I was in my upper years. So I was like, I, I felt like I was never home. Like, I, I don't know how I did that schedule because like I would basically, I would have like band, I think it was Wednesdays. We would do like from three till um, 8.30. We, 
we were there that whole day. And then Monday, Tuesday, Friday, I was working. Saturday, I was working at the flower shop the full day. And it'd be like, I would come home from school, go straight to work. We'd finish at like around seven. I'd kind of mop, do the garbages, all that stuff. Go home. I'd do homework for two, three hours, go to bed and just do it again. And it was a very, very heavy schedule. Uh, like no time, but, for, but, but, but no, because um, I'm thinking of those ages, you know, you go with your friends, you're playing outside, you're doing all these things and you're already like your routine that you're describing now is almost all of us post-graduation with the full-time yeah. juggling school on the side if we're doing extracurricular studies. I just, but you, by the sounds of it, you loved it, right? Or did you yeah, like it, you were doing? It wasn't, it wasn't necessarily that I like loved what I was doing, but it was nice to have my own money. Um, like I was able to take that financial burden of myself off my parents. And that was really helpful. Um, basically, like I was, you know, I, like I they didn't have to pay for food for me. And I would help them with rent when they were short sometimes. And just that stuff, like I was able to put in that extra money to, you know, buy us a little nicer Christmas presents or like go out with and get ice cream with my brothers and my grandma. So it was just little things like that. It wasn't a huge difference, but like, I think that was where, you know, that was the turning point where we started to, you know, see a little bit of an incline. It wasn't we, like from those ages before, I remember we were like very, very poor. And kind of after that, you know, I started working, my middle brother, Mateo started working. It was just little, a little bit less off my parents. So they were able to, you know, put more money into, we eventually moved out and we moved into a little bit of a bigger house. So that was nice, still renting, of course, but it was just, it was different. And we kind of saw that uprise, which was nice, but same type of thing. It was still um, the space constraints and just all that type of stuff. So that really, I, the way I see it when I look back is, you know, it really helped build my own resilience. It helped build my time management, but it, it extremely impaired my like academic activities. So going into university, I didn't have the problem in my first year that I didn't want to do my work. It was that I didn't know how to do my work properly. Like I would sit there for 10 hours. I That was not my problem. I actually felt like I had so much time when I went because, you know, I, I had been working so much and doing all these other things. I got there and I was like, what am I supposed to do? Just study? Like, this is, this was the end of my day. Like, now I have the whole day to do this. But I wasn't doing it efficiently because I never built those strong habits. I didn't have anyone, you know, older or like parents that had gone to university or anything like that to teach me how to study or to teach me which courses to take, which ones are easy. I had to discover all these things myself. So it was a very big learning curve. Wow. So that first year was the, like the big, the biggest learning curve kind of when you had definitely. To... Yeah. So, so then you arrived there, your first year university, where, where did you even start? I mean, how did you even know, or where did you even learn how to study, how to take notes, which field you wanted to be even in? Did, was it just months of figuring it out or, I mean, walking me through that. Yeah. So I guess going a little bit back into high school, um, I always wanted to go into the medical field. I knew that healthcare was what I liked because throughout all of high school, science was the only really thing that, you know, appealed to me. And it wasn't even the core sciences. It was when we had done some physiology. Um, and then going to grade 12, I took kinesiology, which was nice. But um, just that starter introduction to physiology, I was like learning about the lungs, we were learning about the heart. And it just fascinated me how our body worked. So I knew at that point that like somewhere in science was where I wanted to go. And I think as I got, um, you know, older within uh, working at the flower shop, I, I got to have a lot of experiences and I started to notice things that I wasn't noticing before. Um, for example, we had a lot of uh, sympathy arrangements we would make and it was for individuals for funeral homes. And these were interactions that we had to have with these people. And when I think back, like, you know, these people had had a loved one who had just passed away one or two days prior. And 
getting flowers for the funeral is one of the first things you have to do because you have to ensure that they're going to be there. You have to get them before. And most of these individuals hadn't gone anywhere else. They're grieving at home and we're that first face that they're having that, you know, purchase interaction with. So it was really hard to balance, um, you know, trying to upsell and trying to make money for the flower store. But at the same time, um, you know, being there for that person, showing empathy and showing sympathy and those types of things. So as I got older, you know, when I was in grade 11, 12, I was really starting to get good at that. I was able to um, uh, excel at the front desk. And I, I would actually, uh, I would say I was almost better than my boss. Uh, my boss was an immigrant from Russia. So she always had a lot of trouble with, you know, her accent and um, just conversing with patients or sorry, not <laughs> clients in that manner. But um, I, we would always go together and it was nice to, you know, she she always knew what she was trying to say and I knew what she was trying to say, but it wouldn't come across exactly in that way sometimes. So it was nice. And we would really like, to me, that was the basis of how I learned how to form therapeutic relationships in my nursing care. And because of that, I was, I found when I went into nursing school, I was great at talking to people. I could build these interactions very quickly because I would just pick up on smaller things that others wouldn't. Uh, like cues, you know, I mean, part of, uh, a big part of, it's funny even too, in my role, when you say patients, we kind of describe them as clients, as, you know, yeah, yeah. and having that background in customer service truly helps you because sometimes you find people might have the studying down path, the A pluses down path, but put them in a room to try to connect with somebody and they can't, right? There's no like, exactly speaking to the empathy, speaking to the compassion. That's the number one complaint I hear. You can have the best doctor, the best nurse, um, but even myself being in patient experience, none of that matters. The reason why they call is because, hey, this, this doctor didn't even smile. He didn't even introduce his name to me. This nurse, like things that maybe some people don't think are big deals, but they're huge. So, so, so exactly. I, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, just to kind of build off that quickly. That that was something I found in nursing school as well. They really taught us to use the word client, and that's what I I like to use within my nursing counter parts. But I find with older nurses or just um, people outside of the direct healthcare field, they don't like that word. Like they like the word patient, mm -hmm. and I, I find it can be kind of demeaning in a sense. And I I always like whenever I introduce myself, I introduce. I say, hey, you're my client today, like blah, blah, blah. And I try to build that report right off the start because the thing I don't like about patients is it kind of sets them under you. And I don't like that because I'm no different than the person lying in the bed. They're just sicker than me, obviously, but that doesn't make them any less, you know, powerful. And I don't want to come across as, you know, I'm ruling you today. Rather, I want to come across as, hey, I'm here to help you out today. And we're going to work through this together. You're the center of our care team. Oh, that's so nice. You were, you really, you just hit the nail on the head for um, the definition of patient and family centered care. That's yeah. <laughs> it's um, no, that's, that's so great. So, I mean, then you chose nursing. Um, I was it nursing because you said you love learning about, um, you know, you said physiology, I'm sure you love biology, all that stuff, learning about the body. Um, I guess, what was it about nursing in particular? Because there are so many other fields, right? Was, was it something that like, I guess, what about it drew you to it? Yeah. So, so I guess, yeah, going back a little more, um, like, uh, basically how I talked about the flower shop that really grounded my, you know, I want to go into healthcare. Um, originally I wanted to go, uh, into like medical sciences or health sciences because I wanted to go and be a physician. Okay. And the reason I didn't do so was because I just thought I couldn't do it. I was like, you know, my, this is my situation. I don't have parents who went to university. Like I'm not qualified for this. 
I, I it was by like grade 11 12 where I realized like the marks you needed and I'm like I have to take the MCAT like I have no idea how to do that and just there was all these obstacles getting into medical school that I was just like I don't have anybody to help me do this like I've just kind of taught myself how to use like the university application um tool and that was hard enough for me trying to figure out where am I going to apply how do all these programs work like how does the university even work no one even told me it was a four-year degree like I had zero idea about how anything worked so it was just like teaching myself from the ground up and um the reason I landed on nursing specifically was because like I said I didn't feel like I could do it and you know nursing to me was like there's an end goal when you finish your degree like you can apply to become an RM Whereas if I go into med side or if I go into health side, if I finish and I don't know what I'm doing, like I don't have that fail safe with my parents that they're like, you know, we, you can go do this now. Like we'll cover you. But to me, it was like, I'm just going to build up more debt that I'm going to have to pay for myself. So that was kind of that reasoning where I landed on nursing originally. Um, going further um, is when I actually decided to go to the path that I'm on now, whereas I want to go to med school again. And I kind of, yeah, and I'm not sure if you know about that or not, but. That's amazing. I, yeah, I, I, do, you want, do you want me to talk about that a little bit or? Yeah, I had no idea because I know you're you're doing your, so finished your um, Bachelor of Nursing right from Western, four years. Yeah. Now you're doing Master's of Nursing? Master's, correct. Right? Yeah. And then, so is that kind of the path you do your Master's and then apply to med school like yeah totally talk about that if you know you're open to it yeah yeah everyone does a little bit differently so I decided um it was about this it was in my second year where uh, um university where I that was the year where I really started to understand you know that I wasn't the person that I thought I was destined to be in my first year I got to university you know I finally had my own room my own bed my own desk and that was astonishing to me. And I just kind of lived that dream for a couple months. And it was like, oh my God, this is so different to home. And in those like six, seven months of straight studying that you have during your first year, like I would say I gained like five years of studying experience that I had gained in high school. Like it was, I learned more in those seven months than I had learned throughout all of high school, just because I finally had that solitude to myself. And I was able to, you know, study. I, I would go meet with others and I'd say like, hey, how do you do this? And they would just teach me their things. And it was all new to me, but I was just kind of learning, watching others. And then by the time I got into my second year, that was when uh, COVID had hit. But, uh, you know, things were starting to open up again. And I was, I, I just kind of, it, it started to hit me that, you know, I'm not destined for this like failing path that I always thought I was in. You know, I was like, oh, my parents were poor. I'm going to be poor too. Or, oh, I'm just going to, you know, do this job and that's it. There's, there's no other kind of, path for me that I can succeed in because I don't have the supports to do so but it was at that point that I started to realize you know like why like what is it that's stopping me and all it really was was myself I just I was scared to like you know take these journeys because they're difficult and they're going to be very hard for me but um it was so that was the summer that I first decided to uh, uh take my first MCAT um yeah, so I took my first MCAT. I, I scored very high for what I was expecting to score. And I was really happy. It was still way below what was like appliable. But um, it was, you know, it was really exciting for me because I was like, oh my God, like I've actually learned. I, I self-taught myself chemistry, biology, physics, all the things that we had to learn for the test. Wow. And I just, I, I was like, 
you know, it, it started to occur to me that, you know, I'm like, I can do this. It's going to take a long time. It's going to take a lot of effort, a lot of grit, resilience. But I'm like, these are the things I've learned already. Like this hard part, this is the part that's hard for others. You know, you have to stay home for the summer and study. That wasn't hard for me. The part that was hard was I need to learn how to study. <laughs> so I just spent countless hours online on YouTube, Khan Academy, and all these things. Um, For my second time around, I, I had gotten a tutor to help me out. Um, I saved up some money, but and just working on my weaknesses. And so I took the test again in the summer of my third year. And then uh, last summer was the last time I took the test. And I finally, I scored high enough that's applicable for schools uh, in Canada and the States. So I was really happy about that. And it, it was a very long journey and it was very difficult, but you know, like just undertaking that journey, I learned so much about myself. I learned so much about others. And I think I just, I became so self-aware that, you know, like anyone else could do what I did. And that was the reason why I ended up doing the TED Talk, because I wanted to share that with people. Because that realization, it took me a, it took me years to come to that realization. Like I had to complete all of high school and almost half of university before I was like, wait, like I can do this. Yeah. And I wanted to share that message with others because, you know, it was, I grew up in such poor living conditions, but I know there's way more kids that grow up in even worse conditions than I did but it doesn't stop them from, you know, being the same place that I am today. And that was the reason I ended my TED Talk off. I said, I, you know, I'm not special and I'm not different. I'm the same as everyone else watching this video. I just, you know, decided one day that I'm like, I'm gonna work hard and I'm not gonna give up. And I think that was, that was my message that I wanted to get across because a lot of people, and I was that person, are, they just give up because they see all these barriers and, you know, it's, it's tons of work and you're like, it probably won't work out. I'm not going to be that one, you know? So, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. <laughs> I, I mean, I just wanted to say, like, a huge congratulations. I mean, it's such a big, major accomplishment. The fact that you even said that you just kept trying, pushing through, especially once you had that realization. I mean, you must be just so proud of yourself. And I, I just wanted to say congratulations because that's amazing. Like, just the fact that you, like, just everything you're saying, I, I, I honestly left me speechless because I was listening. I'm like, wow, I think more and more people um, need to hear that more often. I don't know if, if you, with the TED Talk, because I did watch it and it was amazing. Um, did anybody from, after watching that, did you get people reaching out to you or what, like, what was the response? Were there people who felt, I don't know, inspired to, or kind of, they're like, oh my gosh, hey, Demo, like that was, uh, what was the impact I get with people once that came out? Yes, it, it did. Yeah. So like um, the, the first people that kind of contacted me was the Gazette because they had watched it. And um, so Western's Gazette posted their initial article. And then after that, um, like Western media had contacted me as well. And they were like, hey, we were just looking at, you know, the Gazette's thing that they wrote. Like, we think other people are going to contact you. So and I was like, what? Like, it was very like surprising to me. I'm like, I didn't like expect I just thought I was like, you know, going to film my TED talk post on YouTube helps that maybe we'll get uh, I was like, if one person sees this and they get inspired, like I've done my job. Yeah. But yeah. So then um, Western media contacted me and then all of a sudden it was like CBC contacted me and then this like news station contacted me and they're like, Hey, we want to do an article, an article in the London free press for you. And it was just like, all these things were just coming at me. And I was like, where did this come from? But I guess like, you know, it, they had just seen my story and they were like, we want to, you know, share this story. And I was really happy for that because there's lots of other people like me that go to Western. I'm not the only one here. It's just, I was brave enough to share my story. 
And the reason I wanted to do so is because I want to inspire others who are younger. I want to inspire others who are my age, who, you know, maybe at that turning point or ones who are younger who can make that realization a little earlier. They can go into the program they desire. Uh-huh. And like, I would never undo my path. I think going through nursing as an undergrad has taught me so much. And like, I loved the health science kind of teaching ways. You know, we learned about the SDOH. We learned about client-centered care. Mm-hmm. And um, in some other programs, you don't learn that until later years or some, you don't learn them at all. So I'm really glad that I got the path that I did, but wow. yeah. And I mean, that's part of why like your story hit, um, you know, a chord with me because being um, a daughter of immigrant parents, I just knew what it was like for them to come here and to struggle. And I was just having a really strong work ethic um, kind of instilled in you. And so just watching you and hearing your story and I'm like, oh, when I was 13 or like they're saying even younger, nine, and t- nine or 10 and being aware of that financial situation and then still like you just kept pushing and pushing and look where you are now and your your video and message has reached so many people and so I don't know I just really want to commend you I'm sure you've probably heard it a million times but you're very inspiring and I'm I wish you all the best too even with your um uh once you finish your master's with applying to medical school because I the world especially the medical field needs physicians like you needs more even a nurse like you it's you see all kinds of different people in the you know in this field some who um maybe should have chosen a different path or not but just we we need that heart at the center of it all so I really just wanted to say that too um but yeah thank you as we're talking I was thinking of another question popped in my mind because when you said um when you said that you spent all those years really undermining yourself right not not Mm -hmm that you would amount to anything in your mind. What was your relationship with your parents at the time? You know, what were they kind of saying to you? Were they always, were they always supporting you in the sense of, yeah, Demo, you can do whatever you want. Or were they kind of, were they kind of more on the, okay, be realistic, go find a job down at, I don't know, a retail job, something like, what was that dynamic like? Yeah. So um, yeah, my parents were always very supportive. I think like, the day that I applied to university, like they were ecstatic because that was like just that application, like that was more than they had ever accomplished. So even just applying and then when I got accepted to Western, like they were they were just like, I guess the word is like flabbergasted. Like they they were just so happy to see, you know, that someone in their family is going to post-secondary education and like being a first generation student. And they're like, you know, you're you're changing our family. Like you're gonna be that one that's continuing. And so just like since that moment, I don't think my parents have ever, like they don't truly understand what I'm doing, you know, finishing undergrad, going to master's. They don't understand what a thesis is or any of that stuff, like GPA, the way courses work, none of that stuff. But they're always super supportive. And like whenever I tell them, like they're just as happy as they were the last time. And I love to share everything that I'm doing with them. You know, whenever I get accepted into something new or I'm like, hey, I, I there's this initiative that I'm thinking about. What do you think? And I love to just get their support, you know, like their, their set of eyes on things, but they have always been so supportive along with my brothers as well. Same type of thing. Um, my middle brother, Mateo, he's going to Laurier right now. And then my little brother, he's just finishing high school, but um, like, I think university will be the plan for him at some point as well. So it's nice that like all of us have kind of, you know, elevated the way our family was before. And we've gone for that further education. And I think that they couldn't be any more proud. Oh, that's so special. And you're the, are you the, you're the oldest brother? 
I am correct. Okay. So look at you, you paved the way. I bet they saw you and they were just so inspired too. Like, hey, if my older brother can do it, let me go, right? Like, do they? Exactly. It's just, it, that's so special, I swear. And so um, you being in your master's and um, I guess being interested, of course, in becoming a physician one day, um, <laughs> do you think about, I guess, which patient population you want to serve? You know, do, do you see yourself in pediatrics or do you see yourself with the older population? Do you have a specific, um, I guess, population that you really want to dedicate your practice to? Yeah, so um, I get this question a lot, like whenever anyone asks me about this, and my first answer always is family medicine. Like that's that's what I've always wanted to do. I don't like I, I can't say I, I can hundred percent commit to it because I have there's certain specialties within medicine that I haven't seen. Like being in nursing now, I've shadowed a lot of physicians, I've shadowed a lot of family medicine, and it's by far my favorite. But there's certain specialties, like for example, urology. I've never really shadowed urology or seen any of it. So I would love to, you know, go through that like little portion in med school, go and see how it is. But I, I can almost guarantee that I'm going to end up in family medicine. That's just where my heart is. Like helping people over that prolonged time, making those, you know, therapeutic relationships and then sticking with them, seeing these same patients for 10, 15 years and having a clinic where you're serving, you know, a two-year-old until he's 25 and he goes off to university. So yeah, I, I think family medicine is definitely where my calling is and where I do see myself. Additionally to that, um, like uh, uh, as I've done my kind of practicum in nursing and now I'm working as a full-time nurse, I work at a rural hospital um, out in Newbury, Ontario. So um, I got placed there. Uh, it, it wasn't my first choice actually, but I'm so glad I got placed there because um, I, I got placed. It's called Four Counties Health Services. It's out in Newbury. Um, we have 12 inpatient beds in the eMERGE and 12 on the floor. I, I think it might be a little less than the eMERGE, but I always get the number wrong, but it's around like it's around 10 and 14, something like that. So very, very tiny hospital. Wow. And by being out there, I've learned so much about the rural side of medicine. Like mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't, it didn't really ever occur to me because, you know, living in like Markham, which is very close to Toronto, you're in this big city and you have all of these resources, all the hospitals are huge. And, you know, going out and doing my placement and now working out there, it is completely different seeing the rural side of medicine. And so by doing that, like, that's one of the reasons I really, really want to get into Shoelake. Um, because I would love to, you know, serve the rural community and like do some time out there and just kind of learn because the amount that I have learned out there compared to what I learned in the city is like, astounding because you really get those one-on-one -on -one interactions with people and you get to spend the time that you don't almost get to spend in the big cities. Sometimes it's hard just because we have so many people and we get that same thing out there. Like our emerge gets full sometimes, but a lot of the time you are able to just spend that extra couple minutes to really, you know, do what I, I like to do. You know, I love to help the most I can and give them my hundred percent. And it, it kind of makes me upset sometimes when I'm like, you know, someone else is dying and I have to attend to them, but I can't get you that box of Kleenex or I can't get you that water right now. I would love to go grab it right now, but I can't. And so, yeah, just, I think that's like family medicine to answer your question. And I do see myself it, if not living out in a rural community, helping in a rural community in some sort of sense. Awesome. I, it, well, I think because with rural communities too, I mean, it, they have just that one main community hospital, right? So that's there. Mm -hmm. And myself too, working in one, it's a totally different field than working at a larger city. Uh, people, like you said, know each other on a person basis, patient, it's a healthcare provider, mm -hmm. something that 
you don't know until you experience it. But um, by the sounds of it, I, I mean, I feel like each and every experience you've had um, is just making you a stronger and stronger future physician one day for all the good reasons, you know, and mm -hmm. valuing the core of what it is to be in medicine. You're not saying different things like, I want to go to the best, this is the best, and I want to be in the I don't know, top research institute, like just something which is okay to have those dreams too, where you want to strive to, I don't know, be in the States or offer something like just the amount of people I've, I've spoken to in medicine, you can kind of hear um, different priorities, obviously, right? But everything that you say, it all points back to the patient and patient care and being personable. And that's what I keep picking up on. So I just think uh, very, like, it's really nice to, to hear that from somebody who's in the field and so I just I think you're going to do amazing and I'm sure you already know that but amazing amazing I'm, any, thank you any patient who has you is really is really lucky so um I wanted to turn over to just a few things I know I think I'm kind of going over time so I'm sorry I want to just kind of um ask one personal thing for me because I did mention this to you before even the recording but um how do you yourself balance working life and studying life and just even your creative side? If you have something on the side that you'd like to do, for example, for me, it's this podcast, which sometimes yeah. back burner, but how do you balance it all and take care of your own brain up there and still have a good quality of life? Yeah, I, I think like the, one of the main things for me is I love what I do now. Like I love school. I love the research I do. I love my job. So that really helps because, you know, I don't see going to work as a burden. It's not like, oh, my God, I have to go to work for 10 hours. It's like I, I'm happy to go to work. I'm going to learn today. I'm going to maybe I'll learn something crazy new. Maybe I'll see some new disease or some new prognosis or something that I've never seen before. So that really helps in that sense. But I think there's two things that I really help uh, do with self-care that helps. Um, one is the gym. Um, I love going to the gym and just working out. I've, I've started again. I had stopped um, for a few weeks just because I was so busy with studying and I had to write my nursing exam and all that stuff. And I think it happens to everyone, but at least getting some type of workout, whether it's like home workout, going for a run or actually, you know, getting to the gym for an hour or two, that's a big thing for me. And I find that like my mental health is so much better when I'm like doing some form of exercise. I know it's been proven in studies and stuff, but just like on my personal experience, I can definitely tell after a couple of weeks of like doing exercise, I'm like, wow, I feel so much happier and so much more glad to wake up in the morning. I feel better. I can sleep better, all that stuff. And then in addition to the gym, um, I play the saxophone. Um, like I said, I was in band. So um, I haven't done too much of that in the last few weeks as well, but um, I play the guitar as well. So just like being musically um, talented, um, I, I love to, you know, I some sort of instrument, whether it's like a harmonica, it's a guitar, or if I can whip out my saxophone and really play like that, I'd like to do it a lot more when I'm home. But um, yeah, just like, playing my instruments is just super fun for me. And like, I find when I'm really stressed is when I, they come up the most because I need, just need to get my brain off something. And it's a very like, especially saxophone, it's a physically demanding task along with um, mentally demanding because you, you need to blow, um, you need to move your fingers correctly. But I find that doing all those things, I, it, it occupies my mind so much that I forget everything else I'm doing. And although it's super demanding, it's so rewarding because you enjoy what you're doing, you have fun and I'll play for an hour and I'm like, oh, like I feel so much better. I can go back and like tackle this organic chemistry problem again. 
And I found like throughout the MCAT, that's really what I used a lot. Like I would, I would study hard stuff and then I'd, I'd stop for an hour, I'd go to the gym or I'd stop for an hour and I'd go play an instrument and I'd come back, look at it with a fresh perspective and I'd be able to go again. And I think, yeah, just finding whatever groove works for you. That's my special thing. And like for you, you said it's with your podcast, but whatever it is that you have that's special to you, you have to like incorporate it into your schedule, actually scheduling those times in. You know, like I'm going to go to the gym Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday this week. And I have it in on my calendar like it's any other task. And then I know, you know, on this day, whenever I'm tired, I'm going to spend an hour playing my instrument. I don't know when. And like when it comes, I'm like, okay, now's that time. I'm going to use that hour. But it's scheduled into my calendar. So I know that, you know, I'm going to dedicate that time and I'm not going to skip it. Because there's been times in the past where I would just work 14 hours and I wouldn't take that time. And you know, after a few months of that, you really start to feel that burnout. Oh my gosh, you do. You really do. Like I stress creeps up on you. So even if you think it's not a big deal after a few weeks, a month, you can only go on for so long until your body actually physically shuts down. Um, and I love what you say about scheduling because I kind of made it um, a goal for myself for each morning. I just wanted to wake up at five, not because of the hype around 5 a.m. morning routine, whatever, but it was because I needed enough time in my day. I found the earlier I woke up, I had more time to get in 30 minutes of exercise, which I do now. I had more time to get ready for my day, to calm down, pray, even do some schoolwork right before I come into work. So it's 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 really about scheduling it because if you don't and you just go, okay, I'm, I have to clock in, for example, for your 12 hour shift, seven to seven, for me, eight to four. Um, I attend meetings all day. Those are all booked, but nothing, nowhere is, is anything booked for my own personal well-being. And so I think you're so right. And you hit the nail on the head when you say to schedule it. I don't think people maybe take the time to do that. I think they just say, oh, I, I'm going to go this week. Right. But you're not putting an exact date time to it or intention or whatnot, but I love that. So thank you for sharing. Um, yeah. I'm really going over. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll end on. Ooh, I don't know. I've, I, I'm just looking at some of my last questions here, but everything I've asked, I went on off, but that's okay. <laughs> um, so maybe just to end off, I guess, is there, you know, you know, no, I have a better question. I have a question that came to my head. What's one like best piece of advice that you've ever gotten, whether it was from a family member or somebody along the way from your school or career journey that stuck with you that you think would be really beneficial for others to know and even to live by i think it's um it's don't limit yourself my my uncle um i had this chat with him it was in my first year of university and i was chatting about you know i didn't go to medical school because blah 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 i couldn't do this i couldn't do that he was like but why and he said that and and like at that time i was it, it, i didn't understand i was like you know well because i can't do this and i can't do that but he's but why can't you do that and why like what's the actual reasoning Mm-hmm. And when I really kind of thought about it, I'm like, there's no reasoning. It's just myself telling me, I'm just setting these barriers that I'm like, I can't do this because I did this and because I was grown up like this and because this happened, but there was no, there was no actual sustenance to that argument. Mm-hmm. And when I really thought about it, I'm like, well, you know, like I could do that if I spent more time and then I could succeed in that. And then it kind of just removed all those barriers. It was still a long road and it was still a lot of work that I had to do, but it didn't it started to occur to me. And like, like I said earlier, you know, in my second year, when I was like, I actually can succeed in these things. If I really put my mind to it and I spend the time, it's going to be years of work, but you know, 
that is truly what I want to do. And I'm willing to put that work in. Like I'm willing to show those medical school admission committees that, you know, I spent enough time to take the MCAT three times and prove to them that I'm smart enough in that sense. And I spent the time, you know, with my volunteer experiences and with my working experiences, not because I wanted to check those boxes, but because I actually enjoyed them. And then because it kind of occurred to me after I'm like, you know, I'm doing all these things that I love and then I can use them as well to help with showing who I am as a person. But I think at the core of it all is just, you know, don't give up, don't limit yourself and just do what you want to do. Like, I, I think I've gotten so many, especially in the last year, I've had so many opportunities that have been thrown at me. And it was the first time that I was like, I had to start telling myself, you know, I have to say no, because I can't, I can't fit all these things. They're all so demanding. And I really, I got to pick and choose all the things that I love the best. And I think this year, uh, my first year of graduate studies has been one of my favorite um, throughout my kind of post-secondary education, because I'm just doing so much stuff that I love. And it's just so enjoyable to, you know, start studying. I'm um, like with my master's, I'm studying vaping in adolescence. And that's something I'm very kind of passionate about. And it's so nice to study things you love and to just like, I know I'm, I'm going to be applying for medical school coming into this year. And it's like, it feels so good to be going in with good stats. And like, I know that I'm, at least I have a shot this time. Like in the past, I was like, you know, I didn't, I didn't have this. My MCAT score wasn't high enough or I didn't have this. And now I'm like, I have everything that I need to have in terms of looking at me. Now it's just up to me to prove to them in an interview. Like, are you able, you know, are you competent as a physician? And do you truly care about like patients or clients um, in that truly personable manner, like you said? And I, I hope I can prove to the board that, you know, that I do, but and I feel like me and you sitting here, you probably have your opinion. So does everybody else. But I think at the end of the day, it's like, I don't, don't limit yourself because if you do, you'll never get those experiences. If I hadn't have changed my mind in that year, I would have been on a completely different path than I am now. But because I decided, you know, I can do this. I started taking on those extra initiatives. I started, you know, I was like, let me try out some research. I've never done that before. And then I started, I was like, you know, I actually do like research. I want to do a master's in research. I think that's a great way to kind of fill that time when I'm still, you know, working on my MCAT and I'm doing all these other things. So, oh. Oh my yeah. Honestly, something that really stuck out from what you said about not giving up is you identified clearly it's going to take hard work. I think that's the biggest, that's the biggest, um, hurdle that people need to face first. Like you said, when you first limit yourself because of fear, uh, thinking you can't do it, you're just, you're, it's, I, I think it all comes down to the fear of failure of not making it. But the second you flip, flip the script and you start saying, well, I know it's going to take hours and hours and hours and, and years of sacrifice and whatever it might take. It's that hard work piece, but if you're dedicated to it in the way that you are, it will happen. There's no ifs, ands, or buts because you're, you're just given a hundred percent of yourself. So I, I find that so inspiring because I myself too would say the same thing. I can't do this. I can't do that. Um, actually speaking of family medicine, before I end this off, there was this family medicine conference at Western actually. And I went, uh, I think it was last year, really great conference. I learned so much about family medicine being at the heart of it all. And it was really inspiring, but I, I was speaking with somebody and he was a family physician from Manchester somewhere in the UK um and he turns to me he goes okay like where where do you practice and I was like I'm not a physician I'm here presenting my research as a master's student 
And he looked at me and he was just like, I think you would be really great. And I'm thinking, this guy doesn't know anything about me. We've just been speaking throughout the whole conference, but it's just, it's crazy that sometimes complete strangers can have more confidence and faith in you than you have in yourself or in your case, your uncle and family members. I just think it's about really, it comes down to believing in yourself, believing in that you can do it. So anyway, I'm so appreciative that you took the time <laughs> scheduled to talk to me. Um, and I really enjoyed the conversation. So again, I thank you and I'm wishing you all the best and best of luck to with your empath and can't wait till there's a doctor. If I mispronounce the last name, I'm sorry. Caltabanus? Yeah. Caltabanus. Yeah, close enough. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, we're manifesting that, so. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and thank you for inviting me. I think this chat was so valuable. Like, I think I, even I learned some things about myself today. <laughs> it's nice. I, I like saying my story out loud because I really, I get to reflect in that moment and, you know, I get to think back. Sometimes I kind of shift all that old stuff back, but it's when you talk about it, it really brings those emotions back up and the things that I learned. And it, it I, I love sharing my story, like I said before, because I just, if even one person hears it, I've completely succeeded my mission. Like that's my goal, you know, just to make others aware of like, you know, just because I am where I'm now doesn't mean that like I didn't have troubles in the past or I didn't go through hard times and all that type of stuff. So I really appreciate you just taking the time to, you know, talk to me today and ask me these questions and let me share my story again. For sure. And I'm, I'm very honored and privileged to listen to your story and thank you and wishing you all the best and you take care, okay? Yeah, you too. Bye.